1: Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle. We've got lots to talk about, okay? Now is not the time to not say. That's involving Carson Wentz, the conundrum, as Jalen Hurts is now going to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles as they take on the New Orleans Saints. Plus, lots of great games to get into this weekend. How is Tua going to do against the Chiefs? you got the Colts and the Raiders. Plus, how could anyone not have seen a Bronx tale in this day and age? And the Sopranos getting some love of course, from Rutgers University. But we begin with this thought. You know one thing about Michael Lombardi. You know he's got stories after stories about his great relationship with Al Davis. So I'm reading Jim Gray's book. You say, that Jim Gray? Yeah, Jim Gray, Boxing Hall of Famer, uh, famous interview with Pete Rose, covered golf for years, et cetera. So Jim Gray in his book is talking about Al Davis. I'm going to read this story here to Mike. We're doing this uh Unprompted, so to speak. So Al Davis is talking to Jim Gray. says, Hey, Jimmy, what do you want in life? What do you mean by that? I asked him. Well, there are only five things Al Davis said money, fame, glory, power, or love. I told him I had never thought of life that way. Well, you better hurry and pick one, he responded, or else you're going to have nothing. So I flipped the question and asked him what he would choose. Ah, oh, that's easy. Power, Davis said. Because if you have power, you have money. If you have power, you're going to be famous. If you have power, you've already achieved something glorious, and I don't give a fuck about love. Davis had asked the same question in a meeting with me and Alex Spanos, the late Chargers owner. Spanos had answered, love. I love my team. I love my community. I love my family. To which Al responded softly, Alex, if that's how you feel... That's why I've won more championships
2: than you. (laughs) What do you think of that? Oh, fuck, Alex. Love, what's that got to do with it? Oh, fuck. I could hear him doing that too. You know, I mean, I could hear him. I I, I, want to dominate. Uh, That's what I want. I want to be able to dominate. Uh, I want to put fear. I want to be feared. Uh, uh, That's what, uh, okay. That's what I want. I want fear. I want to put fear in the opponents. I want them to, we get off that fucking bus. I want them to fear us. I want them to know we're here. Oh, that's so classic. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, he lived his life exactly the way he scripted it. He had power. He did it without, you know, without really having to pay a nickel to become the owner of the Raiders. He got power from the group that made uh, that put him in charge of the uh, old AFL, and he became the managing general partner. And then, through his accumulation of their shares, became the partner, became the the largest stockholder. So, yeah, power he got, and you know, look. There, there's a lot of days that I wake up and a lot of nights I wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking I, I got to go to answer his phone call at 1030 in the morning. But there's also days that I realize, especially now with a lot of coaches and watching the game, like if he watched his Raider team, he would be so disappointed in what they are, uh, you know, in terms of how they play defense and what they do and, and watching the league how poorly the games are managed, he would be really disappointed because he was truly a teacher in, in A, how to build a game, how to build a team, and B, how to how head coaches would learn. Like any guy who worked for Al, that's why I think Don Martindale would be a great head coach because Wink worked for Al. And he and he learned from Al. He was a defensive coach on Al's defensive staff, which is not an easy job to have. And he learned a ton from Al, just like Parcells learned a ton from Al. Nobody realizes Parcells scouted for Al the year he was out of coaching. And, and, and he had phone calls on a daily basis with Al and learned the game throughout. Belichick the same way. They used to have numerous conversations of the game. So, uh, yeah, that conversation, that's perfect. That, that, that is truly what he was. I need to appreciate that's the
1: essence of Al Davis. Now, this is an incredible story. This is uh, from Sports Illustrated. Excellent work from Jenny Varentis and Greg Bishop, who dropped this story. You're saying to yourself, okay, I want to know more about Jack Easterby. Who exactly is Jack Easterby? Well, we're going to tell you. He went from being a character coach at the University of South Carolina to getting his foot in the door in the NFL, rising all the way to the Texans executive vice president of football operations. This is from the opening of the article, and then Mike and I will go in deep. His path to the top of the Houston Texans front office is unlike anything the NFL has ever seen. Many from his past see him as a chaplain with a heart of gold or an underdog outsider with the tools for greatness. Others are skeptical, unable to square his relentless ambition with claims of selflessness, Two years after his arrival in Houston, those inside the Texans' building describe an atmosphere of mistrust, a state of constant chaos, and a sense that he isn't fit for the roles he's taken on. The story uses anonymous sources, Mike. They compare the Texans' front office to Game of Thrones. They compare Bill O'Brien to King Joffrey. You know, Joffrey's ridiculous temper. He's killed off early. Well, O'Brien was fired four games into the season. Uh, Easterby, the player says, is Littlefinger, the sneaky character who operates in the shadows, tries to game power. Power by throwing everything else into chaos. Let's start first with just his rise to power. I mean, hes they said he's a combining a faith-healing
2: televangelist with Littlefinger.
1: This is unprecedented what Jack Easterby is.
2: Well, I mean, you know, I worked with Jack for, you know, 14 through when I left in 17. Uh, and so Jack was truly a character coach. He was able, he did Bible study, For all faiths, Uh, you know, he was really good at being able to uh, help coach Belichick in terms of the building of the team and the pulse of the team and relationships. He married a ton of players through his faith and, you know, he was instrumental in and ultimately, building a a conduit to uh, the relationships between the players and the staff, and and how the character was intertwined and all that. So, you know, this kind of article for me, this makes me go to Al Davis virtually, you know, immediately, right? When this kind of expose comes out, you, you basically it makes me think of the movie JFK when. When Donald Sutherland's sitting there as as Mr. X talking to Costner and he says, the real question isn't isn't the why. The real question is just is the how and the who? Like why would this article be written now? Like who has an agenda against Jack? Like somebody clearly does. Like somebody has been offended. and I don't think it's Billy O'Brien because Billy O'Brien has told people privately, that that he didn't feel that that Jack had anything to do with his ouster. That it was something that just occurred. But the reality here is this is this is a this is a a piece that had to be generated from a someone in that Texas Texans building that has stature and cl- and clout. Because you know the janitor's not given this story. You know Art Modell used to say all the time. You know Sam Source is the janitor. You know the reality here is that this had to come from. I'm not disputing the reporting or the and I'm what I'm what I'm saying is you we as readers have to look at this as what is the who and the how? What who was benefiting from this story? Is it a scorned person in the past? Is it somebody that was fired there? I don't know. I don't really know, but it seems to me that there is a campaign against Jack's rise. And Jack's rise is no different than a lot of people's rise in the National Football League that that has been able to move up the ladder. I mean, seriously, Zach Taylor's rise is any stranger than than, than Jack's. Jack Taylor, Zach Taylor barely ca- never called plays and he's a head coach of the National Football League. Now, I know he coached and he moved up the ladder, so it's different. But Bill made it very clear, and what he said that jack's not not a personnel guy jack's a team builder so i i, I don't understand why there's such a, a, a tremendous amount of resentment and anger towards him and we've all felt it look you know i i think in the nfl you know and and, and certainly you know i've said my opinions to piss people off and and one of the reasons I, I could never have a job of complete control is because, you know, the people that I pissed off along the way made sure that they went out of their way to to kill me Where if I had any opportunity to get a job. So, you know, that just comes with the, the political nature. I'm not mad or angry at any of those people. I know who they are. I know what they, you know, I know what they do. I know how they do it, you know, and, and. I have to live with myself as a knowledgeable with someone who feels like he has knowledge, and I don't really care with anything else because, you know, I was watching The Crown the other day, and there was a great scene in The Crown where Margaret Thatcher comes in to meet the Queen, and she says to, uh, to the Queen, she says, "I want to change my cabinet," and the Queen says. Don't you think you're gonna ruffle a few feathers? I mean, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna uh, have a lot of enemies. And she said that unless one's comfortable with having enemies. And then she quotes this Charles McKay poem, You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that is brave endure, must have made foes if you have none. Small is the work that you have done you hit no traitor on the hip, you've dashed no cup from the perjured lip, you've never turned the wrong to right, you've been a coward in the fight. And I think the NFL is really about if you want to just play the game of not pissing anybody off and take your medicine and sit along the sideline, you'll never have an article written like this about you. But if you want to try to change then you're probably going to have this and somebody's going to come after you. To that point, Mike, I mean, this
1: is damaging stuff they're saying here. Anonymous sources in the story say Easterby often brought up the possibility of moving on from DeAndre Hopkins a Texan, discussed it as early as the summer of 2019, basically saying that he was kind of getting in uh, O'Brien's ear. The story reports that O'Brien trusted Easterby even as others didn't. Two Texans told Sports Illustrated that 85% of the building did not trust Easterby, while another said it's more like 90%. According to the story, Easterby approached a player before a game early this season, and hinted to the player that O'Brien could be fired, and asked for that player's support when it happened. O'Brien was fired after an 0 4 start. Basically, they're, they're they're painting him as a weasel here, Mike. To be blunt, they're basically just saying he's a, he's an
2: untrustworthy guy, right? And you know, and and that's and that's not how Bill O'Brien sees him. And so I think this mechanism of Hopkins has really pissed off some people. You know, they didn't get compensation back for Hopkins. I mean, it's one thing to say. I want to trade Hopkins like, okay, if I were the general manager of the 76ers, I would want to trade Embiid. let's say, but I'm not trading and beat unless I get value for and you know, they got no value back for Hopkins. They basically just took the discount rack and they didn't want to deal with it. So I think this really pissed off a lot of people. And I think that, you know, as, 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 as we know, when you piss off people, people come after you and they damage you and I, I can, you know, the fans don't know this, but there's so many people in the NFL who play the political game, who have the great PR campaign. Remember, the NFL's elected positions, not selected. You have to be electable. You can't, you know. What Jack's finding out here is his election, his election is taking a tremendous hit. This is this is the makings of of a political election smear campaign, right? and he's not being selected. So you you have to understand that as you go in. And there's a lot of people that I I worked with a guy at the Raiders that had a career in the National Football League for a long time, really never said anything, just went along with everything. And everybody loved him. And I love him. He was tremendous. But you have to live your life like that. You have to wake up in the morning and shave and say, you know what? This is who I am. And and I, I could never do that. Like, I could never do that. I could never play the political game to where it was going to work out for me. I had to say what I thought, and I was a big, you know, and and I felt like, you know, it was just going to be the way it is. And so, you know, loyalty in the NFL is a strange, strange thing. You know, th- it really should be devotion. It's not loyalty. Loyalty is saying what you think. Devotion is saying what they want to hear. And that's why I think sometimes you'll get these spirit campaigns.
1: That's an excellent delineation between what loyalty and devotion is. All right, now time for a segment brought to you by Harvey Keitel in the Irishman. Now is not the time to not say. Yeah, that's right. Now is not the time to not say. Doug Peterson, the Eagles coach, it's official. He's naming Jalen Hurts his new starting quarterback. He's starting Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. Carson, the team's franchise quarterback to this point, is going to back up Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts did get a little bit of action, Mike. He was 5 of 12, 109 yards, touchdown, interception. He rushed five times, 29 yards. That's not important. What's important is that once he came in the game, he clearly gave the Eagles a spark. And when we now look at Carson Wentz's performance this year, let's suppose he doesn't play again the rest of this year. He's 27 years old. This is the worst season of his career. He's first in interceptions with 15. He's first in sacks with 46. He's 31st in completion percentage at 58.1%, and he's 30th in yards per attempt at 6.02. Now, Peterson, when he's talking about if Hurts is going to be the guy, I said, I don't have a crystal ball. That was in response to whether or not Hurts will be the starter beyond one game. All I can focus on is today, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think this is the right move? Because I think this. The Eagles are 3-8-1. They're a game and a half out of top spot. They're probably not going to catch Washington, the Giants, at 5-7. Wentz has been awful. Let's try something different. Let's at least see what we have in Jalen Hurts. So I think it's a good decision, although he's going up against a good team in New Orleans Saints. What's your thought on it?
2: Well, I, I think obviously they got to do something. I think it's a good decision to basically, you know, to save Wentz's psyche because he's been hit so many times that he's that you got to end the fight. Like it's time to just end the fight. Like take him take him out of the ring and sit him down and and know that you've got a forty million dollar reclamation project next year. We'll touch on that later. But for this moment, you know what this message does. As the decision maker and the chief figure out officer of the Eagles, Doug Peterson, what this decision says to your team is that Carson was the problem. Now, it doesn't really say it in the words, but it says it in your actions. And even Jason Kelsey, my dear friend Jason Kelsey, said, you know, that, you know, this is this is that everybody needs to take responsibility for the season. From Doug Peterson to Howie Roseman, the general manager, to the offense, to the offensive line, you know. But to me, this is a little bit like you know, you're a captain in the United States Army, and you're getting ready to go through the Normandy invasion, and they've just promoted you to you know to to, to a to a job that you know you're going to get slaughtered in. I mean, like he's going into a team that's that's fourth in the National Football League in sacks per pass play. You know, they're fourth in creating turnovers, right? I mean, they're really good at defensive yards per attempt in the passing game. They're sixth. You know, their DVOA is, if you look at that stat, they're one. I mean, their point differentials three. Their offense to defensive differential is second in the National Football League. I mean, this is a really hard game to go. And you're going to ask a young quarterback who really, remember, we, we have such short memories in, 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 in most everything. This is a kid, Jalen Hurt, who struggled to really be a drop-back passer for Alabama in a pro-style offense. He went to Lincoln Riley, and he became a little bit better with the Big 12 and threw the ball a little better, and he can move around. He's a runner. Runner first, thrower second, and he's a scrambler thrower. So, you know, now they're going to put him out there, and they got a weak AD, you have a whole week to prepare for Jalen Hurts. If you're Sean Payton, you're sitting down there, you're saying, Dennis, okay, I want rush contains. I want to make sure we have a rush plan. I want to keep the bastard in the pocket. He can't get out. I want him to throw from the launch point every single time. And we're going to ha- we're gonna tackle him on every read option. Like you've given them, when, when he went into Green Bay, he gave him a spark because Green Bay wasn't quite ready for him. And then when Green Bay had a meeting on the sideline and said, okay, fellas, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to rush it. He he couldn't do anything. He looked as bad as Wentz. So for me, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, you're not
1: putting a guy in position to succeed. I hear you. But at the same time, you got to do something. Obviously, the team has been terrible. They need a spark. And at least now you can evaluate Jalen Hurts. Like I know Doug's saying, hey, we're just going to try for one week. But at least you can see what you have. Because with Wentz... Listen, you gave him a four-year, $128 million extension. That was in the summer of 2019. So a year and a half later, that deal obviously is disastrous. And the Eagles shocked everybody by selecting Hurts 53rd overall in the draft, a move that you and I both criticized, and it made no sense. With all the weaknesses they have, you're going out and drafting a backup quarterback there. So they can try to spin this around and go, well, hey, maybe Hurts is the future if indeed he plays well these next few games. I'm dubious he'll be able to do so, but at least you see what you have. So when you look at the Eagles' brain trust overall, so Doug Peterson's the head coach. We're not sure what's going to happen with him. Howie Roseman's the GM. Howie Roseman, for a guy, again, he should be getting more criticism of the fact they drafted a white side. They drafted Jalen Rager rather than Justin Jefferson. He also missed on DK Metcalf. You know, Jimmy Schwartz is done a great job as the defensive coordinator, but clearly they need a stronger offensive presence. And if indeed Doug Peterson gets fired, I mean, I think Jeffrey Lurie will know that there's pressure on Howie Roseman as well to perform. This
2: goes all the way through the team. Well, it does. I mean, and this is their $40 million problem, AD. So they they owe... Carson Wentz, 25 million. First of all, Carson Wentz signed an extension two years ago that he got a signing bonus for the extension. But in that extension, he's still under his rookie contract in terms of his base. His guarantees kick in next year. So he's got 25 million guaranteed next year. And then when he's on the league, when he's on the Eagles team on the third day of the league year, which he has to be because it's going to be cap jailed to cut him. They can't cut him. They can't. Then he gets another 15 million guaranteed. So they're partners, they're in bed together. Like they can't, they can't come out of this without any, you know, they've got to solve this problem together. They can trade them, but my question is: who's gonna trade for them? Who's gonna take on your debt? Who's gonna take on this contract? And not know what you have. I mean, his numbers have dramatically gone down. Now, in fairness to the kid, you know, I mean, he played well at the last four games of the last year. He was playing better. But, you know, I mean, he needs a running game. He needs somewhere where he can run. When the Eagles, the year that he had the sensational year, the Eagles averaged 132 yards per game rushing at a 4.47 clip. I mean, this year they averaged 4.9, but they don't run it. They refuse to run it. I mean, they won't run it. They won't help the quarterback out at all. So the problem, they can't trade them. That's my point. There's no value. This would have to be an NBA trade where, okay, I'll trade you Carson Wentz and I'll give you a two if you take on this contract. Like who's gonna who's gonna stand on the table and tell his owner, look, let's assume a $40 million debt and let's take Carson Wentz on? Cause naturally he'll redo his contract for us. Why would he redo his contract? He's got $40 guaranteed. The agent's going to tell him about go! I'm not redoing my deal, right? So why, why would he redo his deal? And so therefore, you know, I can't really trade him for what his true value is. You could trade him like the, the Texans traded Hopkins and get not enough value back. And then you look like a fool. So why would you trade him? So now you've got to make it work. You're Jeff Lurie. you got to make it work. Peterson clearly can't make it work. Frank Wright made it work in 17. You know, in 17, he could throw the ball. This is fascinating. In 17, when he got back to pass, it between throws between 11 and 20 yards, he was 65 for 106 with a 61% completion percentage and 12 touchdowns, one interception, right? This year, from 11 to 29 yards, I mean, he has not been very good. He doesn't throw it very good, and he's made and he's below. He's at fifty four percent completion. I mean, it's it's like he just doesn't have the ability to accurately throw the ball once it gets over ten yards, and it falls apart, and they can't figure it out. And now he's below. He's below his numbers. I mean. There's a solution, I promise you. There's a solution. And the solution is, it has to be Jeff Lurie's got to say, either Doug can fix it or I got to find a coach to fix it. If you have a $40 million problem, then you better go invest in somebody for $10 million, some offensive coach, Josh McDaniel, Joe Brady, somebody who can come in and fix Wentz and save your $40 million. Spend 10 to save 40. Yeah, it's
1: like your point about what you'd pay for coaches. Like McVay's worth $30 million. If he can get the, that out of Jared Goff, and of course he's worth that kind of money. So we'll see what happens for the Eagles. Obviously, there's a big test here for Hurts at home against the Saints, a 10-2 team. We'll report back and see what happens there. When we come back, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals look to make a playoff push. The Chiefs are visiting Miami. Let's see if 2 at time is ever going to happen. And the Colts look to make a statement against the Raiders. All that more is coming up.
0: Gambling problem, call one 800 gambler or in West Virginia. Visit www1800 gamblernet In New York, call 8778-Hope and or text Hope ny 467 In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: All right, Mike, listen, a week ago, you did great in your picks. Uh, sorry, two weeks, we did great in your picks. How'd we do last week after 13 weeks of football? Are we back to 500?
2: We're back to 500. Eventually I'm 25, 25 and two overall. I'm 71, 47 and four. Sometimes I make picks, you know, I do hammer down pod too. So sometimes I make pick I, and and I, I try to tweet them out. Sometimes I don't always, but I've got records of them. So I'm not fudging this whatsoever because I think it's really important not to fudge it. So last week, another three in one week. And again, I'm just sticking. To my numbers, which I think have been really good. And as the year as the week goes on, it's been pretty it's been pretty uh consistent. I love it. You're back on a hot streak now. So three and one now in back
1: to back weeks. Let's keep the games going. The Cardinals are taking on the Giants. So New York right now, yeah, the five and seven doesn't look good, but they've been hot lately. Defense has played better, even though Daniel Jones, Colt McCoy is able to do enough to win. Saquon Barkley has been out. Good coaching job by Joe Judge. By the way, uh, Joe Judge said Thursday, the Giants hoping to make a final decision on his hamstring, so we'll see. They're playing a Cardinals team right now, Mike, how about the Cardinals? They went from, hey, they're going to win the division. How exciting is Kyler Murray to now? They're a 500 team. They might not even make the playoffs. How do you break down Arizona
2: slumping and New York right now surging? I mean, Arizona slumping for one reason and one reason only. I mean, Kyler Murray can't make plays in the pocket. I mean, he's averaged the last two weeks 4.75 yards per attempt. It's, that's bad. I mean, they've the last game they won was the Hail Mary pass against Buffalo. And they really weren't, they can't, you know, now the New England game went back and forth. They missed a field goal to take the lead. They lost it, but he's not making any plays and he's not running. To the same level. When he runs eight times or more, they win. When he doesn't, they don't. And teams have done a really good job of controlling him in the pocket. And I think the Giants, you know, last week against Seattle, that's what they did a great job of, controlling Russell Wilson in the pocket. They sacked him five times. They did a great job of power rushing the line. To me, this is two teams moving in different directions. I, I have this as a pick'em game. You know, I have it as a pick'em game. Believe it or not, 0.64 is my power ranking number on this game. So, with the Lions two and a half for the Giants, it would favor us taking the Giants. Once again, I'll tweet them all out on Sunday because you just because we never know exactly what uh, who's going to play and who's not, like the Des Bryant situation. But I, I think the Giants are clearly playing better football than than uh the Cardinals right now.
1: Yeah, if you go by the hot team, clearly right now the Giants are the ones that are the pick. Kansas City Chiefs are eleven and one. Miami Dolphins are are eight and four. Good matchup here of a Dolphins defense that pride themselves on being opportunistic. They're second, I saw, with 20 takeaways. So, like, they're really important. The way they're winning games here is they're getting the ball back. So, they're going to have to hope that Mahomes will make mistakes, interceptions, et cetera. Tyreek Hill did not practice on Wednesday due to a non COVID 19 related illness. That's according to James Palmer of NFL Network. But the, the Tua Tungawa, Mike, for all the hype around this guy, really hasn't gotten going yet. His left thumb, he was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. That's according to Adam H. Beasley, the Miami Herald. So in a matchup of two young quarterbacks, I mean, Dua better play the game of his life and the Dolphins better hope their defense can somehow slow down Mahomes. At home in Miami.
2: Yeah, I think there's no doubt that you know Kansas City has built their defense. Has I mean, excuse me, Miami's defense is built to play Kansas City. I mean, they've got three good corners. They can power rush the pocket. They can power rush the tackles of Kansas City back, and and they can create some problems. I think the the real concern is going to be can Miami throw the ball effectively enough to take advantage of Kansas City? They'll run the ball, I think, on Kansas City, and I think they'll be able to move the football effectively on the ground. But I think what it's going to Come down to is is can Tua complete a pass over twenty yards? So far this season, Tua is one for eleven on throws over twenty one yards. So you know where he's been good is between eleven and twenty. The place that that we know that Wentz was not, hasn't been very good this year. But once the field expands, once you have to, he has to throw it down the field. Then all of a sudden, and he's got to be able to handle the rush. I think that's the concern. This is a game. I think when you when I look at it on my sheet. You know, I have this game. It should be, I have it as a two point eight one game, and you're getting seven points. So to me, it's it's Miami. I think the heat humidity will be a factor in the fourth quarter because it will be a bothersome because teams play in December there. Uh, but you know, don't rule out. You know, the, the Chiefs are so good at doing this, but this Dolphin defense is really good and they can cover and they will not single cover Tyreek Hill.
1: Not going to make the mistake that other teams have done.
2: Next game, the Indianapolis Colts right now at 8-4. and
1: four. Phillip Rivers, again, he did not practice on Wednesday due to a toe injury. Mike Wells of ESPN.com reporting. Now taking on the Raiders right now at 7-5. and five. It's a real dogfight here when it comes to those final playoff spots in the AFC. Josh Jacobs running back due to an ankle injury, did not practice
2: on Wednesday. What do you make of Colts and Raiders, Mike? You know, I think this is two teams that are, that are similar in a sense that they're both, they need to run the ball to keep their quarterbacks in the best possible. Possible position, but for me, you know, the Colts defense the last three weeks gave up 28 against uh, against ten uh, against Green Bay, gave up 35 against Tennessee, and gave up 20 against Houston. Their defense has got to play better. The team that plays from in front in this game, I think, wins the game, and I think the Colts should win this game. I, I, I think it's one of those games the Colts should be able to move a ball against a bad Raider defense. This Raider defense, the reason people can run the ball so effectively on the Raiders is their edges are too soft. They're too small. Crosby's undersized. Ferrell's undersized. They have no power on the edge. And so teams attack them from the, from the B gap out, and it becomes a real issue. And then their corners can't cover. So for me, I have this as a 3.68 game in favor of the Colts. The Lions 3, I probably stay away because the wiggle room isn't close enough. I like Indy in this game. This is a playoff game. The Raiders have to. The Raiders must win this game. I mean, they got a gift last week. Thank you, Greg Williams. They got to win this one this week.
1: Greg Williams, the ex-defensive coordinator of the New York Jets. Speaking of the Jets right now, at 0-12, you look at the schedule and they say you got no chance of winning any games. They're taking on the Seattle Seahawks at 8-4. and four. They're on the road against Seattle. Maybe the defense is inspired that Greg Williams is gone, but at least on paper, Mike, this is an awfully big mismatch, although Seattle clearly has not been playing great football after that awesome start.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, this is a game that Seattle's can't probably can't wait to play because how poorly they played last week and Russell's been playing poorly the last few or four, last three or four weeks, he hasn't been the same Russell that we're used to seeing. And you know, the Jets, in fairness to the Jets, I mean, they should have won last week. They've played much better. The Miami game was a closer game than you think it should have been. But this is really a game about Seattle. Will Seattle get their offense back at track? Will Russell Wilson start to play at a level that we were used to seeing him play? I mean, the last four weeks, he's been sacked 16 times in the last four weeks. He's gotten hit way too much. They're two and two in those games. He's been getting hit a ton. He hasn't been able to make the plays down the field last week against the Giants. He only averaged six one two yards per attempt. Can't get to extend the ball down the field. They struggled against Philadelphia. It was a win, but they struggled. So I I, I think this is a little closer. My line on this game is that. I have Seattle should be a nine point six two favorite. It's 13 and a half. It's a lot of points to lay. You know, I would probably never take the Jets, but if I had to take, if I have to take this game, I'm taking the Jets.
1: Interesting. Like I said, it's all about the lines, and that's what we'll do once again for Mike's official picks. Make sure you check out his Twitter account on Sunday morning, M Lombardi NFL. Same as his Instagram handle as well. You can follow me at Adnan and you can follow the Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. After the break, we'll open up the GM Shuffle mailbag, talk a little Packers and Lions, plus. Rutgers, they got the best fans in the NCAA. We'll explain when we come back. So the Green Bay Packers right now are 9-3. They're taking on the Detroit Lions at 5-7. Matthew Stafford, due to the right thumb, was a limited participant in Wednesday's practice. But Stafford's coming off a big performance. The Lions finally went over 31-plus points first time this season. Which brings us to the mailbag. It's involving the Packers' defense. You can always email us, by the way, thegmshuffle at gmail.com. From Chad, if the Packers are one and done in the playoffs, I think the reason will most likely be the defense giving up 35 points or more, which likely means Patton will be fired. Is this just Green Bay's fate? Or is there someone who can turn this into the defense capable of getting to the Super Bowl? What do you think, Mike?
2: I, I think my cousin Vince sent that question and I think that's their clear. That's all he keeps saying all the time is they're not going to be good teams with that defense. And, and I think he's right. I think anytime they play against a team that understands how to attack their edges, how to attack the run game, force the run support to get misdirected, they're going to struggle. But they've got Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams has been playing really well and Aaron Jones has got weapons. They can score with anybody. They beat the Saints once already this year. So I think anything's possible. This will be a harder game. Detroit always plays Play some tough in Detroit. If Galladay's back, this is critical. If Galladay's back, I think you got to pay attention to that. If he's back and if Swift's back, those are the two of the better players for Detroit. You know, for me, I have this line. It should be almost at 13. It's at seven. If I take anybody, it's going to be Green Bay because of the margin. But I think Detroit played much better. I mean, they came from back to beat Chicago. But let's be real honest here. Chicago's bad offense scored, what, 24 points against against Detroit last week. Detroit's too slow on defense to keep up with the Packers' offense.
1: Look forward to that game between the Packers and the Lions. Now to the fun stuff. This is why we love Rutgers, employing rows of cardboard cutouts in some of their seats to inject some visually virtual life in the stands. You've seen cardboard cutouts in uh, games all season, whether it was baseball or college basketball, the NBA. Well, Rutgers is the best because of course they have cutouts of the Sopranos, you've got Tony, you've got Carmella, you got Paulie, Meadow, Christopher, and Consigliere Silvio, routing out the crew. The number twenty-one Scarlet Knights capitalizing on their home court advantage with the Sopranos. They beat the Orange a score of seventy-nine to sixty-nine. They improved to four and zero and snapped a thirteen-game losing streak to its former Big
2: East rival. Rutgers has figured it out, Mike. They got the right mojo with the Sopranos. There, I mean, who wouldn't want Paulie rooting for your team? Seriously. I mean, remember when they were at that soccer game and they're over there and Sills in the in the Guinea t-shirt over there on the sideline? It's so perfectly set up. I mean, it's it's perfect. I mean, they should also put, you know, somebody tweeted to me this week the picture of, there was a great picture James Kahn posted on his Twitter account uh, of the of the meeting before Salazzo walked in the room. I mean, what a, you know, that they should all be at this. They should be in the Rucker stands too, you know? I would put Paul Castellano in there, I'd put Gotti in there, you know, put all of them in there. They have a whole section of them, you know, the, the 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 as as Uncle Junior said, the pride of New Jersey, yeah, the pride of Rutgers. Remember when he said that to the guy, when the guy showed up at the door?
1: <laughs> I love the fact that Gandolfini himself was a Rutgers guy. Like, it just, it lent further authenticity. You're like, listen, obviously Tony Soprano did not go to college, but the fact Gandolfini did, like, dude, if these guys went anywhere, of course they would all be Rutgers guys.
2: Yeah, yeah no doubt. And when I went up to, when I went up for Greg Ciano's press conference. I went up there, and uh, you know, I was there. And 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 on the wall in their facility, there's the picture of of my man there, James Gandolfini. He's there, and it was so good. I, I loved that he was right there, and and they had him, uh, you know, they had him uh, uh, on the field as, as as an honorary member. So it was great. <laughs> That's very very cool.
1: Uh, finishing things up here, our friend Kay Adams, who's Good Morning Football and NFL Network. She tweeted the other day about a Bronx tale, the fact she's never seen it. So immediately you tweeted, I want a complete review after. And then she wrote, ha, deal, a Bronx tail, top of my list. I mean, would you rather be loved or feared? I would say fear, because fear lasts yeah, longer than love.
2: I can't believe she's not seen it. I mean, she's been in, she's she's been quarantined forever in New York. I mean, you got to think she, you know, it's right there. Uh, it, it it'll be interesting to see what her feedback is on that. So I would think she would have watched it. I mean, who hasn't watched The Bronx Tale? It's been on Broadway. It's such a great movie, you know. And you know what's that? What's the line in The Bronx Tale about underachieving? Oh yeah, because there's nothing sadder in life than wasted talent. That's always the
1: lesson that De Niro is telling his kid.
2: Yeah. So. you you know for me i think that that's that's ultimate so i'm i'm anxious to see when she does it and if she does she's got a full invitation to appear on the gm shuffle to talk to us about what her review is that we will extend that out to her
1: <laughs> i love it we'll get Kay on here a little price promotion good morning football on nfl network it's interesting you know of all the great lines the line that always gets quoted i went to the broadway show as well there was selling shirts which said now you Can't Leave. The scene where Sonny and the guys beat up the bikers in the bar. What a memorable scene that was. Now you Can't Leave. So good. It's
2: so good. Now you Can't Leave this podcast. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening. Now use Can't Leave. Uh, more GM Shuffles coming up next week. Once again, M. Lombardi NFL. Check out Mike's picks on Twitter. On Sunday morning, support us at the GM Shuffle. Plenty of great football action continues. Once again, get all your bets in on DraftKings. That's the way to go.